Welcome to Rethink Real Estate. My name is Ben Brady, and this is a real estate podcast based around the principles of our non-distressed auction model and Australian real estate concepts at work today in the US marketplace. We focus on scripts, dialogues, real situations in negotiation, listing appointments, prospecting, and all concepts to do with real estate. We look forward to being real and rethinking real estate with you. Hi there, everybody. Ben Brady here from Harcourt's Auctions. Uh, welcome to another episode of Rethink Real Estate. Uh, today's episode is with Mr. Shannon Mesritz, who is our Director of Auctions up in the Northwest, taking care of Washington and Oregon at the moment. Um, Shannon, say hello. Hey, guys. How you doing? <laughs> um, mate, uh, it's great to have you on the program because I think that um, one of the things that uh, I was excited about having is a different dynamic of person coming on and, and, and showing the, the variety or the diversity that we have within our team because one of the things that I'm excited about you to explain to the, to the guys today is your methodical background that you've had um, and unbelievable training in, in respect to what you've done previously. I'll let you elaborate a little bit more on it with the folks. But, sure. uh, but you and I have known each other now for, I think we established before, about eight years um, we met in a fairly obscure way, but uh, we'll dive into that a little bit more into the podcast and uh, and let everybody know about that a little bit. But um, but but either way, mate, one of the things that uh, that I really want to touch on towards probably the end of today is is talking about you've uh, you've introduced auction the concept that we've been doing here for a number of years down in Southern California. You're within your first year of doing so up in the Northwest and. Uh, you know, it's a fairly resilient thing to be able to do is to actually keep pushing forward um, when the process is, is being introduced to a new marketplace. So I want to touch on that with you today um, is, uh, is showing resilience when it comes to things. So I think that, that gives everybody a little bit of an angle. But um, one thing that I wanted to, to go into first with yourself, Shannon, is um, when you and I met each other, you were working at BMW as uh, one of the lead mechanics. Now, your background is that you are a fully certified and qualified mechanic. Um, you have a serious yeah. passion for cars. Um, but the thing that has always amazed me is that the level of training in which you have done in order to get there, you would be described from the people closest to you as somebody that's much more detailed orientated as, as what you would find in a typical um, you know, real estate person. Uh, you are, your processes are always followed correctly. Um, you know, you, you, again, methodical when it comes to all of that type of stuff. But that reflects perfectly over to the way that you train and conduct the auction process as well, is that everything is done exactly the way that we've designed it to be done. Um, do you believe that it comes back down to your training, I guess, when it comes to BMW? And what is that training? Why don't you start off by giving everybody a bit of a background um, to, to where it led you to real estate? Yeah, sure, sure. So I guess, um, you know, I probably take it back to, to the school days, Ben, where, um, you know, although I was, you know, I always turned up for school and things like that, I, I probably saw in myself that I was more um, dedicated to learning about things that I was more passionate about or interested in. Um, I think learning that the, that sort of thing about yourself early on is, was always a help to realise your, your strengths and your weaknesses, I guess. But I turned my, I turned my, I guess, focus towards the car industry once I sort of got out of school because I didn't really think I, I wanted to get into anything else. But um, what led you to cars? cars what led you to cars, mate? What passion did you have about cars? Oh, I just, I just anything with an engine, basically. I love speed and power and all that kind of thing. It was just, I don't know, just anything with a motor and smell the fuel burning, mate. No, that's me. You know, I love, 
anything to do with motorsport. That was all my, always my thing. I was more into motorsports than than uh, than normal sports, I guess. And my brother will uh, will tell you how much I suck at normal sports. But um, cars is always a thing. Just that was just my life. You know, when I was when I was younger, that's all I ever wanted to do. Um, I really couldn't think of anything else in the in the corporate world or as a career that I wanted to do at the time when I was a bit younger. So naturally, after school, I I worked at a hardware store for a little while until I bit the bullet and, and you know tried to dive into into working with cars and um, I guess you know with a long story short I you know within a few days of deciding to do that um, I managed to get myself an interview with the Brisbane BMW group and started working just under a week later and I sort of just threw myself in within you know a, a week of deciding that's what I wanted to do I was on the tools so um, so mate let's know, talk about let's, usually a broom but. <laughs> Let's let's talk about let's talk about um, BMW a little bit more because I, I think that I like you know I drive a BMW I I like BMW I've had a couple of BMWs and that's where you and I met each other but we'll talk about that a little bit yeah. later into the podcast. However, the yeah. thing the thing about it is is that BMW is known across the industry to have some of the best training hands down not only in the industry but worldwide as a company. You know their their processes and what you go through to become a mechanic. You know, everybody thinks as a mechanic, and don't take any offense to this, Shannon, because you know that I don't mean it, but you think of the word mechanic, you think of a grease monkey in a dirty shop under the hood of a dirty car, you know, grinding away. But if you actually walk into a BMW mechanic um, or, or, a, or, or like the workshop itself, it is unbelievably pristine clean. Um, you know, it, it, the processes that you have to go through with the cars because not only are they methodical when it comes to the maintenance, their building of a car is unbelievable as well. Working for a company that big and dealing with those type of processes so early on in your career, was that by design? Did you say, hey, I want to deal with BMW because they have a reputation or was that by just default that you ended up getting an interview there? I think it was more by default. I think that I'd probably put it down to my, you know, the, the, the guy that did the interview with me at the group training organization really and I think, you know, I look at it back with hindsight. My life probably could have been very different if that gentleman didn't put me onto BMW. I guess with my passion as a as a younger person, knowing what I did at that young age, I think he probably put me in that position to say, "Hey, maybe he knows what he's talking about," and would be a good candidate for that that company. I guess so. I really think it all started there, to be honest. Um, I guess going off the training, you know, I, I dived straight into it. Seven days later, started on the tools. I mean, the, the main tool I used was probably a broom and and a, a squeegee and a, and a mop to start with and that's how the, the workshop stays that clean i guess but all, all doing all the grunt work and you know the, the grease monkey work and all that kind of stuff to start with really just puts you in that state to understand hey this is it is a dirty career it's sometimes a thankless career it's um you know but this is just what needs to be done i guess in order to to make it all work and all flow but i guess that the best part about doing that apprenticeship is it, it really got you to um you know, really appreciate when you're actually working on the cars or when you're actually getting some chance to diagnose something or actually get that acknowledgement of fixing something and seeing the smile on the customer's face when they take the car away after the problem's fixed, you know. Um, but, you know, sometimes you don't always get to see that. So I guess over time it sort of geared me to wanting to work in the customer side of things a bit more. But throughout the years of working on the tools, as you said, the, the training was just um, outstanding. You know, BMW is, is a, obviously the operational owner of car manufacturers. They really just throw the money into their training and, and give the tools and resources to their to their team or their, you know, their people to really make sure they're supported and really well educated. I mean, that with a side of sexiness that comes with the brand really keeps you attached to that company. 
I mean, I guess, as you say, they are very methodical, very process-driven, very task-oriented, especially in their diagnosis side of things. And that's really where I gravitated my um, my love for, for, for working for that company and working on cars more and getting away from the dirtier side of things and more in the electrical, um, you know, the brains of the operation, I guess. Um, but absolutely had my armpits covered in grease and up to my eyeballs in it many, many years. But... As I say, it sort of gets it gets older to point, and you get to realise that um, you know fixing cars isn't the be all and end all. Although there's a nice sense of acknowledgement there every day and whatnot, but you can only get burnt and cut and hurt for so long before you start to start to think about doing something else for, for some of us. But and that, for me, that became a side of after I, I became manager manager of our workshop at Westside BMW, where I met you, mate, when I was I think 21, 22. Um, you know that came with its its own stresses and whatnot, but I really enjoyed the customer side of things where I got to have a bit more of a consultative role and quality control kind of things, and really got that sense of working with customers, and that's sort of the thing that I started to gravitate to more and more. So as that I evolved, got older and, yeah. That evolved your passion into yeah. into potentially real estate. We'll get there in a second, but. Yeah. I want to reflect on the conversation, some of the things that you've just said, mate. One of the things that you did was an apprenticeship. And I think that one one thing that most people that know you would describe you as a very respectful, very humble person, you know, um, you know, certainly, uh, certainly somebody that, um, that, uh, that definitely has a respect for authority as well, which then that then goes across to the sense of that, um, you know, that respectful nature when dealing with clients in the field of real estate. Mate, do you think that that comes back down to your early days of doing an apprenticeship? And do you believe that an apprenticeship, even in real estate and not just diving in, is an important part of things and learning? Because you, the thing that you said is that you had a greater appreciation to then actually go and work on the cars. You know, potentially, yeah. you know, do you believe that in real estate, based on your own experience, that that apprenticeship is an important part of actually you know, before you get in there, regardless of your age, so that you've got a greater respect for what you're actually doing and the leniency that real estate gives you? Yeah, I think, I think if anything, um, you know, when you're, when you're a younger person coming of age and all that kind of thing, and I think it probably, without saying that, you know, without saying that the swear word that is the you know, millennials attitude, I guess, and I, I am in, in that box, unfortunately, but I think it really just gives you a, a different understanding of, you know, not entitlement, but not that things just fall in your lap. You really got to work for them, and and as as you said, it, it absolutely gives you a bit more of an appreciation on things, and to understand that I think when I did sort of venture more into real estate, that every transaction you have or every client interaction you have is is not a given. You know, you've got to respect that for as a, as an opportunity, and you haven't you've got to earn that, or at least earn you know deserve the right to keep it. Well, well, mate, I, I think do your very best to, to try and get that repeated. You, know? you, you just said that a sense of self entitlement is the Y generation or the you know the millennials or whatever it may be the classification of what yeah. you and I are. You know that sense of self entitlement though. How often do you see people enter real estate in their first year they do okay and then their second year they do worse and by the third year they're out of the business based on the fact that it's not providing a big enough income for them because the first year there is no sense of self-entitlement. They're raw into the business. They get in there. They do what they're told. They, they do the basic principles and they do them well. And then by the second year, all of a sudden they've had a couple of runs on the board and then that self sense of self-entitlement comes into play. Third year, they still have that sense of self-entitlement. No, I've done my time. I don't have to cold call, door knock or do the basic principles of real estate and then they get out of the business. You know, at the end of the day, I think that if there is an apprenticeship done, if there is learning from somebody and there's that sense of compromise for a period of time, there's that greater appreciation, as you've said, while you entered the business and probably reflective of, of your career, mate, because, you know, 
Um, you you took an interest in real estate. I guess where did your where did your interest spark from? Because if I can paint a picture for people from my perspective, is that I guess that you know you were from how I knew you, you were the manager of a workshop. You'd elevated yourself to a higher level within BMW than anybody had at your individual age. So I, I guess that quote unquote, within the the world of BMW in the maintenance side of things for the cars, you were a very successful individual. Where did real estate trigger trigger your fancy? Yeah, I guess I sort of I sort of laugh a bit about it a little bit. And I guess I go back to that whole um, you know, the the you know, getting hurt, getting burnt, getting cut, you know, working you know, you know, on hot engines and things like that and, you know, um, sharp components and things like that. Although I was in a managerial role, I was still sort of an advisory sort of um, arrangement there. And, you know, you go through parts where you just want to be in air conditioning and, you know, not deal with being burnt or scalded or whatever else and, you know, bending over and, and having a sore back under, under a hoist or bending over an engine kind of thing like that. And you think, well, you know, maybe what else, is this the end of my career here or what else would I do? And I think I sort of started to understand that a lot of our clients, a lot of my clients, a lot of people that I met within that within that company were uh, real estate agents. You know, a lot of the local um, area agents were coming to our workshop to get their cars serviced. And I thought, well, you know, there must be obviously decent money in it. And I've met some of these people and I thought, or, you know, they don't seem too nice or they sort of seem like they're a little bit lost or, or you know, not too people friendly oriented and I thought you know this was my job this was my thing I had to be people oriented and customer service oriented and the customer's always right and you know um, build that rapport with my clients and things like that and I thought well if he can do it I can do it you know Um, I started thinking about that a little bit more and I thought well you know you know probably I had Monday-itis and we had a bad day and I thought you know, bugger this, what else can I do? Let's maybe look into real estate. It was that simple. Bugger um, this, by the way, folks, if you don't really copy that, yeah. that's a very Australian term. <laughs> means, it means screw it. Yeah, yeah it means screw, screw it. There you go. <laughs> so I thought, I want to get on the job searches tonight and have a bit of a look around at this real estate thing, see how it all works and, and, and go from there, I guess. And I got to looking and I sort of searched my area for jobs in that area and in the real estate industry. And the first ad I saw you know, I said Harcourts and, um, you know, I scroll down and looking for sales consultants in the Kenmore and Middle Park office and, you know, it was a group that owned a couple of offices and at the time I didn't really, really think much of it. And I scrolled to the bottom and it said, uh, you know, call this number for, um, an, you know, an obligation and obligation-free conf- conf- conversation and it said, it said Ben Brady and his number there and I thought, oh, that's, I know him, he's my, he's my client. I met him a, a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, whatever it was and, I thought, oh, you know, he's the younger guy with the, with the, you know, the blue E46. You know, I remember every detail of it. You know, yeah. so that was my thing at the time. But um, and I thought, oh, I'll give him a call. So I gave him, I gave me, you, obviously yourself a call and had a bit of a chat. And you said, oh, come on in, let's have a coffee, let's have a talk about it, and and see what your what your interests are, I guess. And you know, I think it was the next week, probably I, I came in and we had a talk about it. And you said, hey, well, you know, I'd start you tomorrow if you had your license. You'll have to go get your license. You can do that through Harcourts. You can just call this number. Um, give me a call when you get your license and we'll, we'll start you tomorrow, basically. Um, and it sort of was that simple. I thought, well, that's all a little bit easy. And sure, I did a bit more research into it and I, I booked my course with Harcourts. And I, um, now, at this you know, time, you were still working. Session. This time, you were still working as a mechanic, yeah. right? I was. Well, yeah, I was still, I was still managing the workshop at BMW. I sort of thought, well, maybe I can give it a shot part time and see how it goes, maybe, or see, see what that 
what that changeover might look like and you know I guess first things first is go get my license and see if I want to do it and you know maybe do some work experience and see how see how it works I guess get a taste of the industry um so I thought I'll tip myself in and went and did my did my real estate course with Harcourts and um I actually uh funny we we probably laugh about it these days but I met um I met Callista your better half I met her parents on uh on that same training course and they were actually uh um, new potential business owners for a different franchise that they were going to rebrand to Harcourts. Um, and it was all sort of a little bit, um, I, you know, I realized the surname was, or the last name was the same as Mike Green, the, you know, as the director. And I thought, oh, maybe they're tied into the, to the family and whatnot. And uh, I guess, long story short, after my training course, I got approached by Callista's parents and they were, the, they were trying to uh, recruit me for their office. So... And, uh, it's a very, to, it's a very, very, <laughs> it's a very, very odd loop. The Brisbane real estate yeah. side of things is that again, I was the business owner of a, of, of, of a couple of offices, and Shannon and I had spoken, and you send him off to go do the training course to get his license. He meets somebody else there who's also just joined Harcourts. They like each other, so he then goes work with them, and then you know a year or so later, I'm dating the, that business owner's daughter, and uh, and and so on and so forth. It's a very very interesting loop of things, but mate, um, yeah. moving away from the story because at this point, sure. at this point, you've essentially almost committed to starting again. Can you talk about the mental challenges that you would have overcome? Because here you are as a very successful mechanic in the managerial side of that workshop, a very successful workshop, um, probably one of the most successful, I would say, probably anywhere in the country in Australia. And you know, the reality is, is that. Mate, you've done how many years at this point um, as being a mechanic and how many years is on your apprenticeship and now that you're in the managerial position, probably elevated to one of the more senior roles that you can be elevated to? How many years have you put in there yeah, with BMW? Yeah, yeah I, was probably, I was probably in my fifth, fifth, sort of fifth, fifth and a half year when we when this all, all went down, yeah, all started happening, yeah. So, mate, I want to talk about, um, about this then. In real estate, certainly here in the United States, not so much in Australia and New Zealand, but in, in the United States, you see a large majority of realtors that are part-time. They've either got another income stream or their partner works full-time. They're just doing it on the side as a business and they're not really dipping themselves completely in um, because they don't want to take the complete plunge. Now, I know that you went through the mental challenge of taking the complete plunge, but, but how did you get over the mental barrier of having to start again and being essentially that apprentice that's on the broom again in real estate? Yeah, I guess I, I think by I think by that stage of my life, although I'd really only done you know worked at the hardware store and worked for BMW and whatnot, I I, I guess I was probably a little bit naive in thinking that through my training that I'd done and managerial training and things like that, and you know helping with a new business, uh, a new a new dealership, sorry, open up and, and get some structure in place there, get some systems in place to actually start firing firing along towards you know helping lead that dealership to the best um, customer service score five months running in the nation. Well, I sort of probably have a bit of an inflated ego at that point thinking that I knew a lot about business and I, I could maybe look at things and look for solutions. And I was the guy that could, you know, be the, be the, the business consultant almost or, or something. I don't know what I was telling myself, but maybe that's a bit of that Y generation millennial thing creeping in at that younger age. But I sort of, I looked at real estate. I did my training course and I thought that, I had answers for every question, although probably out of naivety, I felt like I just had the obvious understanding of how it kind of worked or how I would best leverage a situation or, or you know, look for the opportunity in each situation or say this, not that, or 
you know, in my training, I think, and I thought, I'm going to crush this. Like, I totally understand all of this aspect. And some of the peers that I had in, in, in the room, no offense to them, but I thought some of these people were a lot older than me. And I felt like I, I was sort of you know, invincible almost. I felt like I was, I was totally able to do this, you know? Um, it's funny how, it's funny yeah, how it can, it's funny how it can give you that spike, that emotional connection with something where, you know, you can do it all of a sudden, you know, it's interesting after your first deal, you know, what's the best time to go prospect or get another deal or, or talk to somebody about real estate is after a, a little bit of success, which gives you that pump of that, hey, I know this and I understand this. So, you know, I can yeah. see that that came on. But, mate, your next evolution in things was you did the training course. You went and worked um, at an office on the uh, over on the, um, bay, the bay side of Brisbane um, as, you know, as you started an apprenticeship again with one of our more successful sales agents within – Australia being David Green, you know, David does about a million dollars in GCI. You sort of saw how somebody operated on a high level on what to do and almost not what, what not to do as well. Um, but yeah. but you know, he'll be the first to put his hand up there and say, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. And I know, I know David very, very well being basically my father-in-law. Um, however, you know, I guess that, you know, he was a, he was a very successful agent in respect to what he did for customer service side of things, but also just running of the process, very adapted to auction, you know, very adapted to the traditional ways of real estate as well, and just an all-rounded good realtor. Um, so what did you take out of it? How long did you spend with David? And what did you take out of it? For about, for, for about two years. Um, it, was, it, was, it was a better part of two years, I think, that uh, we worked with Dave. Um, I, I, I don't know, Dave... Dave's a Dave's a great man. I think he I learned a lot from him about um, you know like customer interaction and, and I guess servicing people and over servicing people. Dave is one of those uh, really magnetic personalities that you just usually want you know you want to be around him. Um, you want to you know uh, without you know sounding sounding funny you know he sort of adapted the, a, a sort of relationship like almost a fatherly figure there. Not to say that you know I never disrespect my father, but. Um, you know, he just, he felt like it was something he wanted to be around. He could always learn something from regardless and, and have a lot of fun at the same time. And I think he sort of really, people sort of gravitated to him a lot because he was such a, um, a great person to, to build rapport. He just looked for every opportunity to, to try and maximize on that and, and have people like him and want to do business with him. And I don't think it was ever out of, you know, non, not being genuine at all. I think it was just a natural desire to want to help people. And I, yeah. I think that was probably something that I, I really gravitated towards in his style of real estate. Yeah, and that's a and that's a wonderful and that's a wonderful thing to gravitate towards, obviously. But you know, two years with Dave and learning those things, mate, our our paths sort of crossed again when I had gotten out of the businesses that I was currently in, and then I took a corporate role with Harcourts um, on a corporate perspective in Queensland, and I became their chief auctioneer or their auction procurer, and then their chief auctioneer. And all of a sudden, here I am, I've pulled up to one of Dave's auctions to call the auction as the auctioneer. And lo and behold, here's Shannon Meseritz, the gentleman that uh, I'd spoken to ages and ages ago, um, standing beside him going, hey, Ben, how are you? So, you know, our paths sort of interlocked, interlocked again. And, you know, I certainly started to get more involved with David and his office, um, along with Callista as well in that period of time. And again, for those listening, Callista is my better half. Um, she, uh, her and I have been together around six years, but at that period of time, um, you know, I, uh, I, I started dating Callista and then again, I was calling Dave's auctions as, as ancestral as all this sounds in the real estate business that is, that is in Brisbane. Now it's, it's amazing how, 
you know, you sort of get connected with people all of a sudden again. And, you know, here's Shannon standing there. And, you know, Shannon and I started to socialize again a little bit more. And, and we started to, you know, I started to see how much he'd grown and developed in the real estate sphere of things. And, and that's where, you know, we sort of, how our story developed as how we started working together is that, is that when we got the opportunity to come to the US and start up our auction business, at that time, we had our auction business in Australia and we needed somebody to come in and manage that entire business. And that's where you became the operations manager for our entire Harcourts Australia business, Harcourts Auctions Australia business to develop the, the structure and things of that nature. Now, it's a, it's a different sort of a role that normally a real estate agent that's being successful and understands real estate, usually they wouldn't go into more of an operations role, but because of the processes and the development that you'd made within Dave's business and also that we knew you were capable of because of your background in BMW and how methodical you were, it was funny how how comfortable we were you taking on our baby so to speak because that was our baby at that time that Callista had come and worked with me and she was doing that and we saw this opportunity in the US and certainly didn't want to forego what we had built in Australia at the same time as we wanted to go and try you know this this thing in the US because we could see it being really successful with that opportunity in front of us but mate you sort of fit in with us absolutely perfectly in the sense that you understood real estate you've been successful in it already and not to mention as well is that you know, the reality is, is that you had that methodical background of process driven things that we didn't have in our business. And it was really struggling structurally until you'd come in and develop that. Yes, it's, I, it's, it's funny you say, I, 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 you know, I took the words right out of my mouth. It really, at first we sort of, we, we looked at it and we thought, um, you know, this is kind of how the business looks. And I sort of didn't have an idea of, of how it all sort of worked and whatnot, but we, we obviously, you know, too, we took took the plunge, and I guess in in hindsight, you know, very soon after, um, you know, getting diving into that role head first, um, it was the perfect fit. You know, um, I think, you know, the processes and the methodical side of things from my my years of training previously in a different role, you know, that that logistics and production side of things just fit in perfectly with with I think what what the business needed there, this the Australian auction business needed to actually get that structure together and. I think, you know, an understanding of real estate and how that works and how, um, you know, the, the, I guess the, the business of, you know, booking the auctions and the processes involved with how all the nuts and bolts and the back end side of things works, it actually works in, in pretty great harmony. And I felt really at home in that role in a very, very short amount of time. Um, so which, let's, yeah, it's really, really strange how that all works. Let's, let's describe, let's describe to the listeners because they're probably not understanding how you fit into that role. Um, as an operations person, but but essentially we were part of a business that did did thousands of auctions. You know, we uh, Shannon, you would have seen thousands of auctions from a third party perspective from the back end of things. Yep. You've seen the auctioneer call them because you are not an auctioneer yourself, but you are the person. But but you you would organise everything on the back end of it, but then also not to mention coach everybody through it as well from a process driven standpoint. And you've seen yep. thousands of auctions operate. What yep. is it? What did you take out of that role? Because again, there are very few people within Australia or within our industry that can say that they've been involved in thousands upon thousands of transactions. And essentially, you have, from a third party yep. perspective, which fits you so well as being the director of auctions for the Northwest now, because you're probably a little bit closer than what you were before. You definitely are a little bit closer than what you were before, but yep. it has given you the the skill set to one handle volume, but two understand all of the all of the deficiencies that a normal agent would go into. So let's talk auction specific for the time being. 
How did that help with the process side of things? Running a process, not the, simply the promise of a price or with what you do now with the team up there in the Northwest. So I guess that role was more like an, of a, you know, like an overseer sort of thing rather than a, being on the front lines. And I guess it's sort of, it's sort of reversed a little bit. And I guess uh, been a combination now, a combination of the two, I guess, you know, I, you micromanage as you know, I say micromanage cause you've got, you know, obviously a lot more volume on personally, you're micromanaging all these transactions, um, you know, individually, I guess, obviously with, you know, with your, you know, the agents obviously managing the listing, but you're sort of micromanaging that whole transaction and handling the feedback and handling the offers and going back to the agents. And you're you're kind of a deal and, coach, mate. You're really a deal coach in that system. Yeah, yeah, and I guess a lot of, I think how that's helped me, um, you know, from, from the previous role to here is not just an understanding of, of how the auction works and all that kind of thing, but I guess seeing the pitfalls in, in some of the, not the, the processes that don't get carried out by agents, I guess, especially yeah, yeah, the unsuccessful, the unsuccessful. Let's talk about it. Let's talk yeah, about I, that, mate. The, because yeah, because yeah. You, it's funny that you hear it, you hear a, you, I've heard this saying a number of times, okay, and, and I can't remember where it was from, and I'm plagiarizing it from somewhere, but the reality is, is that it's funny. I've I've heard a number of successful people on podcasts before, or any interview that you hear, or people on TV say that, hey, I don't really remember my successes, but damn, I remember my failures. You know, yeah, so because that's where you learn. That's really where you learn. Yeah. Um, you know, you give yourself a pretty quick pat on the back when you have your successes and and all that kind of thing. But when when you when you fail or nothing, something doesn't go so right, you usually stew on that for a lot longer than than you celebrate your success. I think that's really where the analytical side of things comes from and you really learn, you go, well, shit, I won't do that again or I could have done that better or I should have said this instead of that, you know, or I really, you know, I really screwed that up. Um, I think that's really where you learn and grow. I mean, that's, that's a pretty standard thing across the board in, in life, I think, but I mean, we're probably sounding like we're philosophizing a lot, but really that's just it. You know, you, you go back to, or I go back to understanding the, the pitfalls or thing where things sort of, fell by the wayside or maybe an agent dropped the ball here or there, which was really evidence on, you know, on auction day, especially back home where it's a little bit different. But, you know, you can, you can soon tell, you know, when you're at the auction and you've got sellers and buyers that are just so far away from each other as far as where the perception of value and expectation goes, yeah. you can tell exactly how, how hard the agents work to, you know, educate, educate the sellers and, and really maximize on uh, the, you know, the feedback and, and what the buyers are really saying about the property. Well, it's, it's not so much, it's, the main not, point. it's not so much educate a seller. It's, you can see the deficiencies in the agents that haven't helped the sellers understand the market, you know, and that's, yeah. and that's what we saw on a high volume capacity in your role, mate, from a third party perspective, standing back. And I mean, even farer back than what we do as regional auction directors or auctioneers is that you were behind the scenes between the regional auction direct or the auction auctioneer and the agent, and you would still yep. see all of those things. But mate, I guess that that led us to the opportunity that you're in now. You are the director of auctions for the Northwest. Um, mate, you have essentially gone up there and started auction all over again. Uh, yes, we're doing them in the, yes, we've been doing them in the US for three to three and a half years. Um, down here in Southern California, but obviously, if anybody doesn't know the demographic of the United States, is that it's a very, very vastly different place, the Northwest. Um, but yeah. you know, we've we've figured out that it's it's pretty much the same, different price points, different volume categories. And you know, when we wanted to launch auctions up in the Northwest, the first person that came to mind um, was you, based on the nature of that anybody that can be resilient enough in a marketplace where you have to be resilient for a longer period of time, because auction goes through 
it's rejection periods, I guess, because here in the US, you launch auction, you do a few of them, people sort of see it, and they sort of reject it, or they don't understand it, or they don't get it. It's that level of persistence that carries out from month after month after month of pushing not only the other agents and the general public, but our own Harcourt's agents and getting them and understanding the process. How is what you've done with us in the past, or if you encapsulate all of your stuff in training in BMW, all of your, you going through and taking that mental battle and challenge to start all over again, which terrifies the hell out of me, um, uh, then going into then being successful in the real estate industry by seeing the most successful people operate. But then not only that, is that then looking at it on, you've probably seen more transactions in real estate than anybody will have hot dinners in their lifetime, mate. So, you know, the reality is, is that how do you encapsulate all of that into what you're doing now? Just give us a bit of a summary of your role now and how things are going and what you've seen happen up there in the marketplace to sort of close out the the podcast with the folks. Sure, I guess, you know, it's, it's always going to be an understanding or there's got to be an understanding of when you're, you're pushing into a market, not a new market, but you're into, into a, a, you're offering something new to an existing marketplace. There's always going to be pushback, you know. I think... It's probably a burnt-out analogy, but, you know, you're the, the Uber of the taxi industry, you know, you can't ask for, for permission a lot of the time. you just got to, you know, throw it, to the, throw it to the wall, see if it sticks, and do your best to try and keep it up there. That's a wonderful um, analogy, you know, mate. It's a wonderful analogy. You can't ask for permission. If you ask for permission, most of the time it's going to be no. The likelihood is going to be no. It's, 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 it's blazing your own trail. Yeah, it's... it's I mean, if Uber had a vast tax industry and they said, well, no, I mean, we wouldn't have cheap affairs and getting home at three o'clock in the morning, um, you know, in nicer cars would be an all beat up taxi still. But I mean, how, look at that, how that industry's changed. You know, I think, I think it has got to be a component of, of strength in an agent to help convey that. But I think it really comes down to a core, absolute core understanding, but more importantly, a belief. Like you've really got to believe that, that, what you're doing is is the is the best option for that seller. You know, I, I, I without philosophizing, I always think my whole real estate thing has always been from from two components: is being a consultative real estate agent. You know, like I'm here to provide a solution and service to best you know exact on that client's needs, whether they want to hear it or not. And I guess that probably ties into something that I think I probably learned from you in the early days, mate. Is is you know tell people what they need to know, not what they want to hear. You know, I, I call it lip service, but you know, you're not going not to give people lip service. You've just got to really tie that in with giving them the rest solution. And I think all of that comes down to that, that true belief in in the process. This is a process. It's really logical. It's very straightforward. And, and I guess, as you say, I'm a process person. It just makes so much sense that, you know, not only delivering that process to a seller with real conviction, but you can deliver it in a manner that they know you really believe in it and they start to believe that it is the best option for them because I believe it truly is. You know, I've seen enough of it and I've seen enough of the results to learn and believe in myself that why would you do it any other way? It's um, funny, it's funny, Shannon. You know, I the think one, that's just the core of it. That, well, it's funny. It, it, it's interesting to understand some of the characteristics of even our agents that we deal with or even the outside agents that we deal with. It's funny, they don't understand that as a corporation, as a business, we do over 13,000 auctions internationally every year. And they think they're going to be the one person to pick out the deficiency of it. You know, it, it, it's funny how they think that they are the one person that's going to find that deficiency. We even see it within our own Harcourts people, as I mentioned. But, you know, the outside agents or the general public, with all due respect, auction has been around for centuries as the truest form of finding value. They're not going to be the ones to find the deficiency in it. And 
that's what I think that where you and I come from an experience level and, and, and make the one thing that I take on board with what you're doing up there in the Northwest is truly blazing a trail, um, you know, as we did here in Southern California. You know, we're nine months in now and what are our numbers, mate? Just give us a reflection of the numbers that we've conducted, not to age this podcast whatsoever, but we're nine months in um, to conducting auctions up in the Northwest. How many have we done and what's our success rate? Yeah, so we've, we've listed over, you know, over $35 million worth of property in Oregon alone so far. Uh, we've got about 90% success rate to date. Um, you know, clo- closing out closing out June, July, you know, over 60 auctions with 90% success rate, you know. Um, that's, I think, I think those numbers, I think I mentioned at our awards recently, those numbers, I was never expecting that sort of success straight off the bat. Um, you know, I think that we, we're winning business over our competitors because we can offer something different. And it's really, it's really just something that sellers are really seeing the benefit in. Um, even though we're having a, we're having a market up here that's starting to come into realignment, coming back to normality, yeah, still obviously tremendous growth, but yeah, it's coming back to normality. Um, and I think that agents, agents that get on board with you know a philosophy like this, you know, that helps them educate a seller from day one, not not you know six months down the track or three months or two months down the track when the price that they've put on it in a traditional listing just doesn't work. And they've got to ask for those price reductions. You can start having that understanding of what market sees value much, much earlier. Yeah. I think those agents to really take that up are the ones that are going to see their results. And we've already got evidence of that too. You know, we've got a few, as you say, trailblazers in, in each particular office that are just really just grabbing it with two hands, using it as a point of difference and winning business over their competitors and getting stuff sold. You know, it's, it's, it's really straightforward, if not sold before at auction, getting really good prices on stuff. To able to, to be able to sell the sellers with conviction. Hey, this is market, and and this is you know your chance to move on or to stay if it doesn't make sense. You know, it's it's a much more process driven um, strategy than than putting a price out there and seeing if someone wants to come along and, and pick it up rather well, than saying yes or no. You know, it's it's pretty simple stuff. Well, mate, in in concluding this uh, the podcast, I'm going to just mention is that one of the things that you've uh, you you've got a little bit differently than the Californian marketplace and the. And the Hawaiian marketplace that we're in is the fact that, you know, Oregon has been a, a, an unbelievable marketplace. You know, you take anything under $500,000 and it literally sells within three days. So a vastly different marketplace to what a lot yeah, of people right Yeah, absolutely. That's right. But then you've seen yep. recently that marketplace sort of back off a little bit. And what you're left with is agents that, you know, are, have been in the real estate industry two, three, four years and they've made a fairly decent and easy living. Now, like with all due respect to those people, if you've been in yep. the industry less than five years, you've actually haven't actually been in real estate really. So now we're looking or at, at least the fact that haven't had to have the tough conversations around you know sellers' expectations being different. Than the yeah, place, yeah, no, you know, it's, it's very different. Yeah, you go into autopilot and you just hope that you don't have to have those. But I guess that now you're positioned in a marketplace up there with the auction process. I know that Harcourts is now going to make sure that in even in this marketplace where it's sort of come back a tiny bit. You know, the reality is, is that we are poised and this is our opportunity. There's no question about that. Mate, um, thank you very much for spending some time with us today. We look forward to uh, to the continued success of auctions up in the Northwest. It's truly inspirational. You're moving over from another country, giving it a go and doing it in an absolutely brand new area where ultimately, you know, you don't have a track record and you've been able to do that. $35 million in nine months, mate, is a wonderful achievement and reflective of the guy you are. Great story. Thanks for joining us, Shannon Mesritz. Thanks for having me, mate. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Uh, Tune into uh, the next episode of Rethink Real Estate. Uh, Looking forward to uh, getting some serious practical uh, 
stuff out there in the marketplace of situations that Shannon, Jason, and I deal with every single day. We love Rethink Real Estate because it's real real estate situations that are happening every single day. Thanks, folks.